Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Mike Idella. Mike, welcome back to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. For for sure. So, uh, Mike, uh, I kind of just got a few questions I want to run through. Um, they can take us 20 minutes. They can take us uh, five minutes, but I kind of call them the conversational uh uh, question starter, so to speak, just to kind of get the, the, the ball rolling. So, um, I want to kind of know, uh, what is your current, uh, you know, morning routine or ritual, uh, that you kind of like to start your days with? Uh, water. That's <laughs> kind of keep it pretty simple. I love to start off with a big 32 glass ounce glass of water. Um, hydrating is something I'm really focused on right now. Uh, it seems like, uh, these similar, these, seemingly basic things can kind of go by the wayside. And so um, I don't like to overload with, with too many tasks, uh, especially during the week. I wake up with a now seven-year-old. And so morning times, you know, can kind of be all over the place, kind of depending on how everyone slept last night. So I like to start off with some water, um, keep the morning slow until he gets off to school, and then it can kind of jump into my work day. Okay. Now, the flip side, do you have like an evening routine or a bedtime routine that you try to stick to on on most days or not necessarily? Yeah, so I have a bedtime. Um, 930 is my bedtime. I like to get to sleep by 930. Uh, and then, like I mentioned, I'll wake up at 630. Okay. So uh, those are those are like the pretty solid, solid routines that I have I wind down before then uh, try to stay off any type of screens like right before bed. Um, but I also don't really have a problem sleeping. I can get pretty decent sleep um, most nights. Okay, cool. Awesome, man. Uh, do you have a favorite book or a book that you like to recommend uh, to people? Yeah, I love a lot of books. Um, I recommended this one yesterday, A Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Fantastic book. Um, kind of talking about his life a little bit when he was a younger athlete and using storytelling as a medium to explain some important life lessons. Mm. Uh, it's a great, super fun read too. It's a great author, really describes his stories well. I, I kind of feel like in some of the, you know, self-help books, things can kind of get heavy or it's like the same kind of deal over and over again. And uh, this, this book is a nice refreshing, you know, refreshing format to that. Okay. Cool, man. All right. Now this could be over the last year or the last six months or the last month or the last two years, however you kind of want to take it. But uh, what life lesson have you been taught or have you learned uh, over the last year or uh, in, in, in recent uh, times? Yeah, I think, you know, the one that's coming to mind is <clears throat> releasing expectations. And that's a lesson that I'll learn. I'll think I have it handled. It will come back and bite me in some different ways. And so I feel like it's, um, there's some lessons that I'll just always kind of learn and, and kind of have in my back pocket, but it seems like, you know, as life does what it does, um, new opportunities arise, new problems or struggles arise, and then new expectations arise. And so, or hopefully not, um, you know, so I'm really working on understanding what my expectations are and then uh, if i can communicate them and then if they're really serving me or my family or the my friends or the way i want to live my life 
Okay, now I want to I want to I want to pull back some layers on this. I want to dig a little bit deeper just so that I can kind of better understand, you know, releasing expectations. Now, naturally speaking, Mike, um like let's let's talk about, you know, like a situation that might arise, right? Uh and I want you just to kind of maybe give me an example like how do you have expectations like just from from your day-to-day -day life and 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 walk us through how we can practice or you practice releasing those expectations or or how has having expectations maybe gotten you in trouble or you know maybe they haven't served you in the past like kind of explain a little bit more in depth for us what releasing expectations means to you and for you yeah i think you know sometimes we want i need to release them and then sometimes i need to communicate them and it's all it's so usually with someone else um and then it's usually with someone else that i'm close to which oftentimes is my romantic partner. And so I'll have certain expectations that they will, or she will show up in a certain way. Um, expectations that my family will engage in a certain way. Expectations that my business will kind of move in a certain, in a certain, certain format. And so, you know, when I have those expectations, it pulls me away from enjoying the present moment. Mm -hmm. And then, I get caught up in what I want, what I think should happen or could happen or must happen. And it pulls me away from enjoying what is happening. And so like a, a really easy example of that is <clears throat> going out for a walk, um, you know, just going out for a walk after dinner, something pretty simple. But if I'm expecting the walk to go in a certain direction or take a certain amount of time or go, you know, move a certain route, I guess that's similar to a direction and say, um, you know, someone else I'm walking with wants to spend some time in this park or wants to go this other direction, like re releasing that and and letting it move in that way, kind of releasing control um, would be an example. Okay. And so I guess what I'm gathering from you then, Mike, is by releasing expectations, it allows you to live in the moment um, and, and experience uh, the moment that you're in, as opposed to maybe having some anxiousness towards like, this expectation that you had for, for A, B, or C. Is that, is that a, is, am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it gets kind of tricky because you want to have goals and uh, I'll use another example. Like I have a race uh, coming up this weekend, right? And so I have goal for the race, but if I'm way too attached to say a goal around time or something that's finite, then it pulls me away from a, uh, enjoying the experience if it doesn't move in that direction. And so getting really clear on what is the goal for my race or what is the goal for going on a walk after dinner um, helps release those expectations because I'm not trying to control a situation. I can just be more present within that situation. Beautiful, man. Love that. Okay. <clears throat> kind of the last question, Mike, in terms of the conversational starter questions, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? Oh man, um, kind of going along with what we're talking about. Um, expect nothing and experience everything. Mm. It's a nice, quick one there. Yeah, that's that's a good one. It's in alignment with what you just uh, shared with us. So that's that's awesome. Now I want to kind of transition, Mike. This is kind of the favorite uh, part of these conversations in terms of the podcast for me is kind of getting into the guest backstory and their upbringing because as adults, current day in large part, we are, you know, uh, 
who we were surrounded by and, and, and who kind of raised us in terms of adults when we were younger, right? Um, that doesn't mean that we have to become those adults, but obviously those adults in our lives when we were younger uh, shaped who we are uh, presently. So I'm always interested and fascinated in, in the guest upbringing and childhood. So talk a little bit, Mike, if you don't mind about uh, like where you grew up, uh, talk about uh, what you were like when you were younger and uh, what was life like for you? Were you involved in sports? Were you involved in other extracurricular activities? What was school like for you? Parents, uh, siblings, kind of paint that picture up to about high school, if you don't mind. Okay. <clears throat> I was born in New York, about 20 minutes north of the Bronx. Um, I was raised there. That's I uh, jumped around from a few different towns, moved when I was in, um, let's see, third grade. So I started fourth grade at a new school. That was a little bit tricky for me because moving into a new place, didn't know any of the kids. Um, my mom always said, I never met a ball that I didn't like. I played every single sport pretty much besides lacrosse, which I do regret. Actually, I wish I did play lacrosse. I feel like I would have really enjoyed that. Um, but I was always, I was always outside. I was always playing uh, nickname for me, from my parents was Tigger, because I was always just bouncing around from, you know, different rock to rock or, you know, running on furniture. And my dad was just here visiting. And he was and he told me a story. He's like, Mike, all the other parents would be be like, aren't you worried that Mike's going to fall, that he's going to, you know, lose his balance or something? And they're like, no, like he doesn't. <laughs> that doesn't really happen. And so um, I've always been um you know, athletic, I guess, in that way, and just liking moving my body and being outside and connecting with other kids or people in that way. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, I moved again from that school, actually back to the original school or the um, district um, that I moved away from. So I kind of knew some kids and, you know, through sports, you meet a lot of kids on different travel teams and uh, things like that. And so that was cool. That was a good experience for me. Uh, I moved to a, let's see, when I was, I guess this is getting into high school, but when I was 13, I think that's when you're freshman, my parents got divorced and that was really tricky for me growing up. Um, I have a younger sister. She's two years younger than me and she was in seventh grade. I was at going into ninth grade. So um, just one morning woke up parents were fighting in a spare room. We had never heard them fought, fight ever in my life. And so it was kind of like taken back from it. You know, you're kind of laying on the ground, your ear under the door, trying to listen what's going on. And then uh, a few hours later, they come out and they sit us down and they say, we're getting a divorce. And it was really shocking to, to me because again, never saw them fight. Um, never really saw them engage um, like really romantically as well. And so it's kind of just like more neutral. Um, a lot of energy was focused on myself and my sister, um, you know, kind of focusing on the kids. And so uh, I really gravitated towards sports at that moment. And um, it was two weeks before I started high school, two weeks before a new high school, and my parents just separated. And so it was football season. Thank goodness I get to hit people. So <laughs> that's uh, exactly what I did. Um, I, you know, really leaned into, leaned into that sport um, and uh, had a great coach, Dave Fernandez, who uh, really worked with me on the freshman football team. 
I was a lineman a guard in middle school. And then I went to this new school and I was like, I'm a running back. Like I'm going to try out for running back. I want the ball. I want to, you know, take it through the line. I want to be out, be out in space. And, um, and it worked out well that, you know, that team, um, previously in middle school had never won a game. They were 0 and 10 in their all middle school career. And then we won our first game. And so super fun that season, you know, when you're a young kid, like it means everything to you, even though it's freshman high school football, you know, you're winning games or having parties on the weekends. Um, that was a great time. Okay. Now in terms of sports, we're going to touch on sports first. And then I want to kind of go back to your, your parents, uh, divorce and touch on that. Uh, was football your go-to sport and your favorite sport, or was there another sport that you consider your favorite when you were younger? Basketball. Mm. Yeah. Basketball is my favorite. I would spend hours outside dribbling, shooting, coming up with games. Um, I had a best friend, uh, who lived in the neighborhood that I grew up in and we would always play one-on-one -on -one with each other. I was actually just telling this story to the, um, the little boy I live with, uh, cause we, I just got him a basketball hoop for his birthday. And so it's out in our front yard right now and he's out there shooting all the time. And I also got him a pair of Michael Jordan basketball sneakers. And I remember my friend, Matthew, he would always beat me like by one or two points. He was just better than me and constantly would beat me. And then one day I went out and I got some new Michael Jordan basketball sneakers. I think they were like Jordan 12s and I beat him with my new shoes on. And so I was telling him the story. I'm like, these shoes are magic. Like, and he went outside and he was shooting. He was making his shots. He's like, it's the shoes, it's the shoes. And I was like, no, Ren, it's you, man. The shoes help though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Um, now uh, let's let's talk a little bit um, before we go back to the divorce. Uh, I want to know about you academically because obviously I know you went to college and stuff. We'll get to that in a little bit. But what was school like for you uh, academically and just kind of the school environment outside of sports, Mike, uh, when you were younger? Yes, I always um, I was really active. Like when I was in second grade. Um, my teach, I had so much energy. It was so hard for me to sit in class that my teacher gave me a basketball and she would let me go in the back and just dribble the ball. And then I could kind of get some of my wiggles out and come back and focus. And so school is difficult because I, you know, I don't necessarily think, especially for boys that, um, you know, some standardized education is really positive. Um, just to have some people sit down, not be in class, not be able to move around, forced to learn in one way, just not how I personally, you know, learned. And so then I never really felt successful. And then I ultimately didn't feel smart and I didn't feel like, um, yeah, I was academically inclined. And so I kind of carried that identity for a little bit of time, um, definitely into high school and leaned more into sports and trying to be the funny guy and, and having a lot of friends um, through sports but um, academics were were a place that I never really caught my groove until after high school. Okay. Um, now I want to go back and touch on uh, your parents' divorce because obviously you you mentioned as you uh, were talking about it that it was it was a, it was a shock. It was a big surprise. Now what I kind of want you to share, if you don't mind, Mike, which I, I I'm assuming you don't. You're you're uh, you keep it real, but. Um, 
obviously it was a shock for you and your sister in, in, during that time frame when they said we're getting a divorce. Now, what I'm uh, interested in finding out a little bit more about is how did that divorce affect you personally when you stepped into adulthood? Does it still affect you to this day? And how have you kind of been able to uh, break free from that or work through that? And any advice or suggestions you give for anybody that's maybe still holding on to something like that uh, from their childhood? Because I know that you uh, have have men's groups and, and coach men and things like that. So would you kind of just finish up talking about uh, maybe some of your advice uh, for, for breaking through some of some of those uh, childhood struggles or, or traumas, if you want to use that word? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think Let's see. Big question. Trying to think of where to start. Um, like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, right? We're all raised in a certain way and we all form attachments to our caregivers, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, who's ever helping raise us. Um, those attachments is really how we learn to receive love. Um, if we're not mindful of those attachments as we get into adulthood, then we can be living some more um, adolescent or elementary school type of energy. Um, I work with a lot of men who, you know, they're adults in the real world, like they own a home, they have cars, they have a thriving business, they might have millions of dollars in the bank account, but they still feel emotionally like a child. Mm -hmm. um, they might, when they get frustrated or when their ego gets hurt, they might yell at their wife or yell at their business partner or yell at themselves. Um, similarly to, you know, how five, seven or eight year old might, might act. And if we're never consciously learning how to mature emotionally and, and mentally through that, then it makes sense why we would show up that way as an adult. And so that's a lot of the work that I'll do now. And we could talk about that more later, but, um, you know, for me, uh, I was fortunate that I was in sports. Um, a regret that I have is my sister, and I, at that moment, we went to different high schools. And so I was dealing with it in my own way and she was dealing with it in her own way. And um, I didn't do a great job of, you know, really supporting her through that um, and seeing, you know, how I could act and, and be as a bigger brother. Um, and so those are, I think, wounds that might still be active to this day and are things that, you know, I'm actively trying to work, work on. Um, and, but understanding you know, why my parents got divorced, what was like, what was going on, what happens, those are conversations I was able to have with them. And they were able to, you know, be honest with me, um, was really helpful. And you can learn from those relationships. And, you know, every young kid, you know, has this like dream of how their parents should act and should be and how life has to go from all the Disney movies that they watch and all of the TV shows and all of that, all that stuff. And when life does what life does, which it's not a Disney movie, um, there's usually no, not always a happy ending. Um, we compare ourselves to that and then we feel bad and we can feel like it's our fault or we got dealt a bad hand or something happened. And almost every single person that I know has to do what's called some type of reparenting where there's something that they didn't learn, um, you know, as a young child, whether it's emotionally, mentally, financially, physically, you know, something that their parents were most likely doing the best job that they could at that time with the skills that they had, um, but no one's perfect. And so it's our job to fill in those blanks. And if we are always pointing and blaming our parents or our caregivers or someone else, then 
we're not able to take ownership over those actions that we want to change. And we feel like a victim. And when we feel like that victim, we're stuck in what's called a fixed mindset and we're not able to grow and achieve the big dreams that we might have for ourselves. Excellent, man. Okay. Now uh, you graduate high school and uh, how did life unfold for you post high school, Mike? Uh, post high school, I went to college. I went to SUNY Cortland, which is a state university in New York um, to play football. I was recruited by them. And so it was great leaning more into sports, um, uh, but as well leaning into what I wanted to do with my career, which at that time was become a physical education teacher. Both of my parents are teachers, and uh, I thought that would be the right path for me. And so it was great. I mean, I was in classes like racket sports where we're playing, learning how to play badminton and tennis and pickleball and playing with each other. And then a dance class and a martial arts class. And I was like, this is college. Like, this is sweet. I'm, you know, loving it. My grade point average like doubled from high school. And so uh, that was really exciting. Um, but then as I spent more time, uh, I used to do a lot of substitute teaching over the summers and college breaks. You know, I didn't really love <clears throat> the school environment. I felt like um, there was a lot of, you know, politics and, you know, the kids didn't always want to be there. And it was difficult to, you know, I had so much passion and energy for um, physicality, but that wasn't really fostered in a lot of schools. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking at what else was available and I really dove into exercise science and kinesiology, and I wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach, um, specifically with football players. Um, that was my dream. And then the New York Jets just happened my junior year to um, come to my college for a training camp. So they moved from East Rutherford, New Jersey, up to Cortland for a month or so um, in the summertime. And uh, I was fortunate to work with their strength and conditioning staff as an intern. And they never had an intern at training camp before. And so they were like, let's see what you got. And I was, you know, 19, 20 years old, like young, hungry as heck, and just wanted to learn everything. And so that was a really amazing experience for me. I learned a ton about professionalism. I was able to work with some of the best athletes in the world. Um, you know, obviously also doing a lot of intern stuff, like making protein shakes and putting weights away and cleaning racks and um, but learning attention to detail, you know, one thing, um, the head strength coach, um, Sal Alosi, uh, was a real stickler for was having everything look the exact same. And so we built the strength gym in an old, in the ice arena, not just the ice arena. And, you know, there's like four huge trucks coming in and we got to build all these racks and all these weights and just make everything very clean and, and clear for the athletes. So it, keeps up with the consistency so that they can trust the, you know, the weight sets or where everything's going to be. And he wanted every weight rack to look the exact same down to where you hang a strap on the, like, like a resistance band um, on the rack, the knot of the bands hanging out the same way. And so when you look in the gym, you can just tell immediately, Oh, something's off. They're supposed to be, you know, this many two and a half, then fives and tens and, you know, 25s and, and 45s. Um, so that was a really cool lesson that I was able to learn at that young age. And that really helped me um, throughout my career, developing that attention to detail. Who are some of the uh, players, uh, kind of like the studs on the Jets team uh, when you had an opportunity to work with them? 
man, that was the, those were the years where they were just like recruiting guys that were, you know, kind of at the end of their prime. So it was like Jason Taylor, um, Danian Tomlinson, um, San Antonio Holmes, Bart Scott, the wow. Real um, yeah, a lot of a lot of amazing athletes. Um, is, Mark is Matt was there when you were there or not? No, not yet. He came the next year. Okay, okay, cool, man. Yeah, you got to be around some like, I mean, legit Hall of Famers then, huh? Yeah, yeah. So it was cool seeing that. I mean, especially um, Ladanian Tomlinson, like, um, you know, my second year. So I did that for two years, and the second year they were really like, okay, go coach the athletes. And so what they would do was they'd do a movement screen on all the athletes to see, you know, where they were, where they were tight or where they were more injury prone, whether it's like tight ankles, shoulder, hips, knees, you know, something. And then they would do prehab exercises um, before the workout. And so um, I would go and, you know, with a specific group kind of help lead that prehab exercise and make sure guys are doing things correctly. And so with Ladanian, I was teaching him how to do kettlebell swings. And he was like, you know, how do I, how do I kind of do this? And so it was cool. And he was so coachable to like a young college kid. Um, and he was really wanting to learn and make adjustments and ask questions. And, um, you know, the best, the most successful people, you know, obviously now we're talking about athletes, they want that feedback because then they can make an appropriate adjustment and, you know, go on and achieve the, the goals either in the weight room or on the field that they want. And like, I'll make a quick analogy with that, with what we talked about before with the divorce, a lot of people want the best relationship or the best emotional intelligence or mindset that they can have. But if they don't, if they're not honest with themselves and they don't look at, you know, why they're acting a certain way now, then it's going to be really difficult to, to achieve those things. And then they're always going to be kind of pointing the finger outside of themselves ultimately feeling out of control and eventually, you know, lost and hopefully not, you know, depressed or anxious, but that's the way that that can usually happen. Mm, wow. Um, okay. So you have this experience for, it sounds like a couple of years with the New York jets. Um, once that, uh, internship, uh, so to speak was done, uh, what was next for you, Mike? So there was a coach at, that used to work at this place called athletes performance out in California. Um, it's now called Exos. Um, and that, at, at that time, and I think still now, was like the Harvard of strength and conditioning. It's like the premier cream of the crop for helping guys go from um, college to the NFL um, through something called the NFL Combine, where they get tested on their 40-yard dash, their cone drills, their bench press, their vertical jump, broad jump, a lot of these physical tests. And so if you're a, you know, maybe you're trying to get drafted in the second round, but you run a few tenths of a second faster on a 40 that could boost you up maybe to the first round, which could be the difference between, you know, a couple hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. And so there's a big business in helping guys run just a little bit faster, jump a little bit higher. And I was really, in, I was really interested in that. And so I got um, an, another internship out in California um, and was able to learn from, you know, the amazing coaches out there, um, again, on the details of how to, you know, what's the shin angle that the athletes need to have and the velocity that they need to have coming out of their third or fourth step or the distance between, you know, all of those steps. And, you know, that, that facility was really cool. Um, after the, the college athletes kind of came through and they went into the draft, um, then the NFL vets would come in. That was awesome. There was a guy 
uh, a coach, Travel Gaines, who just started with that company then. And he had a lot of relationships with a lot of big time athletes. And so it was cool. Like uh, Julian Edelman um, was an athlete I worked with. Danny Amendola was there. Um, this was before they were teammates, but uh, kind of saw that. Like I literally saw that meet for the first time um, and saw that friendship develop, which was cool. And like even with Julian, like I think he just got drafted by the Patriots or just got um, – you know, signed by them. And uh, Tom Brady was calling him all the time, like every day, like, are you working on your catches? Are you working on this route? You know, this is really important that you get those throws in. And so I used to play quarterback. And so he would ask me, he's like, Mike, I need like a hundred here, a hundred to over my right shoulder, down to the hips, hips over the shoulder. And so I was just throwing him balls, you know, after we would do our speed work or our strength work. Mm, Wow. Okay. Uh, So now before we move forward, at that uh, stage and age of your your life, Mike, what was kind of like your, uh, if you had one, your long-term goal kind of within strength and conditioning? And then, uh, you know, how did you kind of transition out of like the, the strength and conditioning as we know it in terms of like, you know, being at these big clubs and facilities and training, you know, high profile athletes to kind of more of what you do now, like more of the life coaching and and, and things like that. So what was your goal at that time? And then how did you kind of transition out of uh, the more sport, sport performance stuff and get into more of like the, I guess, for lack of uh, better terminology, the, the life coaching type stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I wanted to be a strength coach. Um, I saw that with a team atmosphere with the Jets. And then I saw that in a private facility atmosphere at Athletes Performance or Exos. Um, And I really liked the private facility because the athletes are wanting to be there, you know, on the jets, if, you know, Darrell Rivas, for example, he didn't like um, lifting weights. He was like, I don't really, I don't know why I need to do this. I'm an amazing athlete. I don't want to have to go to every single lift, but if he doesn't go, then he gets fined. And so they they have to go. Um, But it's a different energy when people are forced to be there more or less versus they're wanting to like learn, wanting to you know, work on their three cone drill, wanting to work on their start, wanting to work on, you know, something um, that's going to help them possibly, you know, further their career. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went, I moved back to New York after that and eventually was uh, managing a strength and conditioning facility for more high school and college athletes. Mm-hmm. Also super hungry, right? These young kids are like <laughs> wanting to either gain a starting spot on their, on their roster, or they're wanting to get a scholarship to college. And so that was really fun to help them get, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. Um, but what I soon found out was um, I really love what I call the, that, that space between the field house and the weight room. You know, usually you do your, your speed work first, and then you'll go in and do the weights. And as you're walking from the field house into the weight room, it's a time where you can kind of catch up with athletes about life. Like how's, how, how are things going? How was your weekend? What's been going on? And um, the more, you know, trust and rapport that you have with the athletes, they'll open up and they'll share things with you. Things that I believe are more important than the sports that they're playing. You know, it's their relationship with their girlfriends or their wives or their kids or their parents or themselves. And uh, I really loved those types of conversations and felt like um, that was a space that I could really support other people in. So then, um, okay. So then give us kind of the, the practical steps that you took to kind of get into, uh, you know, getting more 
uh, into the life coaching and, and transitioning out of the strength and conditioning like you were doing kind of college and those early years after college? Yeah. So I was working and, and managing this strength and conditioning facility. Things were going really well. Um, we were about to open up another facility and I was young at the time and I was like, this is great. I'm making you know, more money than I've ever made before feeling really successful, but again, was feeling that pull to the, you know, I didn't know what life coaching was at the time. Um, but I was feeling called to something different. Um, I learned about Paul check in college. I had an amazing professor, um, who taught me about him. And I, at that time I was really diving into more holistic health and wellness, um, some spirituality aspects as well. Um, but there was, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago, 15 years ago, there wasn't like, uh, it wasn't as popular as it is today, you know, for people talking about like saunas and ice baths and different diets and elimination diets and sleep and hydration and, you know, fluoride and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, so the practical steps I had to take were to first communicate to that facility that I was managing that I wasn't going to be working there anymore. And I was going to be, you know, moving on to something else. And I didn't know what that was, but I read this book called The Art of Nonconformity. Um, I've, uh, Chris Gillibue is the author. I think I'm pronouncing his name wrong. Um, but it's an amazing book. And in that book, he outlines this idea for an alternative graduate studies program where you can go off in the world and study things that are really interesting to you. And you just need to hold yourself accountable to those things. Mm -hmm. And now that's easier to do than ever. I mean, there's YouTube books, there's so much free information out there. It just requires someone to have discipline and be able to structure a program that gives them the tools to take action on whatever thing that they want to do. And so for me, that thing was holistic health and wellness. And so I saved up some money um, I think it was like $18,000 um, over the course of a year. And I took a backpack and I bought a one-way ticket to Costa Rica and I set off and I set off on my, my odyssey. And uh, I went to Costa Rica, Peru, Chile, Easter Island, Germany, Austria, a bunch of different places, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, and it was fantastic. Um, when I came back from that, you know, I really learned to trust myself. I really learned to rely on myself and I ultimately learned to follow my heart, um, follow the true attunement with what I, what it is that I believe in and that I think is valuable and my gift to the world. Mm. And at that moment, it was the coaching and the presence that I can bring to people. Um, I really got into yoga at that time as well. And so I came back um, and was living in New York, did a yoga teacher training at Pure Yoga in New York, um, started teaching yoga and and still strain the conditioning um, privately in Manhattan. Um, and yeah, then I started diving into all these different types of modalities, um, did a, a holistic lifestyle certification with Paul Check. did tons of breath work, tons of, um, you know, different mental and emotional workshops and certifications to help me kind of get my, my toolbox of, you know, all of these different stories and ways I can communicate things to people that are going to help them, them, it's going to help them create the change in their life that they want to have. What was during this uh, odyssey, as you kind of called it, Mike, what was the biggest like personal discovery that you had 
for yourself? Was there anything when you were kind of going through this time of, of seeking and searching and discovery? And again, this, this odyssey, were, were there any light bulb moments or anything that you discovered about yourself, good, bad, or indifferent that really helped catapult you uh, forward in this, in this new adventure? Yeah, I think it was a lot more of solidifying things like solidifying the trust. I mean, for me to move away from opening up that second location and to move away from that job that I had, um, that was really difficult. Like I really let people down um, at that space. And that's hard. That was really hard for me to do. I didn't want to let them down. Um, but ultimately, I didn't want to let myself down. And that's what I would have been doing by continuing to be there. And I was fortunate they you know, we're, we're frustrated and upset, but ultimately we're supportive of me because they want, they were good friends. They wanted what me to do what's best for me, um, which ultimately is a conversation I have a lot with clients when they're worried about making a change is, you know, if it's a real friend or someone who really wants what's best for you, they're going to support you with whatever it is that you think is best versus support what they think is best for you. Um, and so yeah, I think I forgot your question. No, no, you 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 answered it. Uh, I was just kind of talking about uh, you know um, what was like the the personal discovery that you had, but but you you answered it. it was more of like just solidifying you know that you were kind of moving in the in the right direction, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a lot of struggles on that journey. Um, I got dengue fever from mosquito in Costa Rica. Almost died at 107 fever. Um, was completely delirious for a few days, bedridden, sick as I've ever been. I don't really remember a lot of it because it fried my brain, um, which is why it's not quite the sharpest right now. That's that and the concussions are the excuses that I always like to use. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really learned to follow my heart. I know it sounds kind of cliche, but I think a lot of us can relate to um, having like a they're usually fleeting and quick moments of like an intuition where we think oh, this isn't the right thing. And then we'll talk ourselves through it. And if we continue to do that, then the signal that we'll get from what I would call spirit, other people might call God, universe, energy, whatever, um, doesn't come as often because it it's not getting um, actualized. You're not moving through with that energy. And so it really started to help me trust that, that intuition, like that that signal that I was getting. And now I really try to create as clear of a vessel that I can energetically as possible so that I can receive a lot of those signals um, from spirit. And then I can take action towards that. And there's nothing, there's been nothing in my life more powerful than being able to trust those and move into those directions, um, which is again, a lot of stuff that I'll, that I'll coach people with um, a word that I talk about a lot uh, are the shoulds and the shoulds, um, you know, should make more money, should have this job, should have this relationship, should have this body. The expect, again, the expectations are, are endless. And so um, by getting, if you're living with a lot of shoulds, then you're having a clogged system. And so those, uh, that energetic, you know, truth might be coming into you to help give you some of that guidance, but you're not listening to it because you're clogged from too much social media or too much ingestion of um, things that are outside of you. And so we can get into that a little bit more. I'm not sure where you want to take it, but there's some ways to, you know, hear the signal clear. Yeah. I mean, why don't you just, why don't you, I mean, for the sake of uh, myself and the listeners, why don't you just discuss that a little bit more and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll move on from that. If you don't mind, Mike. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, it's become really difficult, especially in the fast paced world that we're living in, where there are so many inputs. Um, and those inputs are from, you know, non-natural sources, which would be um, basically uh, any piece of technology um, versus like someone communicating with you, which is still an input, but it doesn't, it's not as strong as use, you know, scrolling on social media and getting expectation from um, random strangers on the internet. And so uh, I like to use nature as the greatest teacher mm-hmm. and spend extended time out in nature. Um, this summer, I'm actually leading a few men uh, on a wilderness quest where we'll be outside high in the mountains in Colorado, um, fasting for three nights, um, going through various rituals and ceremonies to help get that signal clear so they can really attune to their 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 true north, their true nature. Um, and we use a lot of different ways um, of going through that. So again, when I was talking earlier about, you know, the X's and O's of the coaching, there are so many different modalities, just like a personal trainer might have a kettlebell certification and uh, weightlifting and, uh, you know, speed work or bar or whatever. Um, that's what I do now is I learn, okay, what are all of these different modalities that can help out? And then what are the ones that are most powerful? And I feel like, um, a rite of passage, a soulful initiation into um, an adulthood is maybe the most, I mean, not maybe, it is the most powerful transformation that people can have because you're forcing to put yourself in an uncomfortable position um, by fasting, by being alone out in nature without your phone, a book, uh, a journal, just a you're just with your clothes, um, a sleeping bag and a tarp. And so you're out there in the elements having your own quest calling in your own vision for your life um, and then coming back and being able to share that with other men um, and be able to be truly be seen for who you really, really are and supported for who that is, which is, I think something we need more of in this world. Mm. Um, did you hear about uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, kind of going into this uh, blackness and uh you know, kind of uh, figuring out what was next for his life uh, before he signed with the jets or not? Yeah. Yeah. He did a, um, it's up in Oregon, I think. Yeah. Retreat. Now, now I know you guys are not going into like the, the, it's not a darkness retreat that you guys are doing. You're, you're, you're doing it maybe in a, in a different, uh, light, no pun intended there, but, uh, is what you're doing with these, these men, uh, you know, this, this summer in the woods and the fasting, is it, is that kind of similar to kind of like what you, heard like Aaron Rodgers do is it is it is is it kind of in the similar light or or not necessarily yeah it's similar I mean I use the four directions as a map of emotional maturity and so you think of the east would be like a young child a baby um, and then you finish in the east that's like a grandfather or an elder and then you move to the south which will be more of an adolescent like egocentric type of identity which is a lot of what society is now like look at me, look at what I'm doing. Let me market myself. Let me focus on myself. Like, you know, like a thing of like a five, five-year-old to 10-year-old. Um, uh, and then you move, have to move through the West, which is that dark, mysterious, um, kind of like that dark night of the soul um, where you really lean into your traumas or your past or the things that are really difficult for you to, to own up with, to own up to. Um, and it's only through that that you can move to your north, which is your true north, your true vision, 
the true manifestation of you as an individual, what your gifts are to bring out to the world. Um, and I believe we live with a lot of adults who are living a false north where they have a job, they have you know, things or a home, or they look like an adult on paper, but they haven't gone through that West. They haven't gone through, you know, the quest, which is, you know, uh, the way that I'm serving people to go through it. Um, a darkness retreat could be another way. Plant medicine could be another way. Um, you know, I obviously like the quest more than both of those because um, for many different reasons, I mean, I think you're forcing yourself to be in a natural place and you're learning how to commune with the natural environment that we all live in, regardless of where you live. And when you feel connected to nature on like extremely depthful, soulful way, you're never alone. And you always have a space to come back to when times are difficult and when times are good. Um, but if you're only getting that through, you know, the medicine or ayahuasca or something, then you're, oh, you're indebted to the medicine. And so you need to go and do that in order to have your vision versus just being able to go outside and, you know, it might sound silly to some people, but, you know, have a conversation with the inanimate objects that are outside. Um, it's also a lot harder. It's, it's, it's easy in some ways to just like drink a tea and have an experience where it's really hard to walk off into the middle of the woods. It's scary. Um, you're alone. There's like some, there's obviously safety precautions that we take, but you don't see anyone for those days that you're there. Um, and you're not eating food. You're just drinking water. So you get hungry. You have to deal with that. You get tired. You have to deal with that. You'll get frustrated. You'll get anxious. You'll get scared. You'll get all of those things come up. And how can you act through those? Um, you know, it's a big, I, I really love the like, get comfortable being uncomfortable type of energy that's go, that goes around um, the world these days, um, especially with like um, recovery aspects, like a sauna or an ice bath. And I think there's tremendous value to that. Um, and this, this quest is, is that on like a whole nother type of soulful spiritual level, because you're really leaning into yourself on like, yeah, something that's exponential. Um, and then coming back and being able to share it with that small group is really, really powerful. Hmm. What, what have, what's your true North, Mike? What have you discovered for yourself personally as, as your true, true North? Yeah, I'm doing it right now. You can tell I enjoy talking about this stuff. I enjoy living um, my life in this way. I enjoy serving others in these capacities. And so you're getting a direct shot of my true North um, right here. I love it. I love it, man. That's why I wanted to, uh, for all the listeners out there, uh, uh, Mike uh, was actually on a, a previous podcast that I had. And uh, I, I wanted to have you back on, man, because I, I, I know that you have a lot of value to provide the world. So um, now a, a few other things I want to touch on before we, we wrap up our uh, great conversation today, Mike. Uh, Colorado, that's where we connected last time. Uh, I used to do my podcast all in person because I had a, a larger pool of uh, fitness and health-minded people out in Colorado when I lived out there as opposed to being here in Iowa. So uh, we we connected in Boulder. We actually did uh, the last podcast conversation in uh, one of the libraries there in, in Boulder. It was great. My mom was there visiting, took some pictures. But uh, how did you end up out in Colorado, Boulder specifically? Talk a little bit about just the uniqueness and the specialness of 
Colorado and that that Boulder area because it is a very unique, special place in my estimation. Yeah, I mean, I love it here. I've lived in many different places. Um, I got here with an, an ex-girlfriend. Um, we were living in San Diego and looking for, you know, the next thing. She was traveling a ton as a yoga teacher. Um, I didn't have any roots that I needed to be in San Diego. Um, she made a suggestion. She's like, what about Denver? Like, it's the middle of the country, great airport. <laughs> like, um, that was really the sell. And I was like, okay, like, I love the mountains. Let's maybe, let's go for it. Like, what's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? And we packed up a U-Haul with all of our stuff when our lease was up and just started to drive out to California or drive out to Colorado. Um, we didn't have a place to move into, but um, we just rented an Airbnb for a few nights and then went around and looked at some different spots and wound up picking an apartment complex actually um, right outside of Boulder in Gun Barrel. But um, yeah, that's how I, that's how I got here. And then um, we, we split up and I stayed in Boulder. Um, I love it here. The mountains, the people, the, um, the community, um, it's definitely a bubble of a lot of people that like the same type of thing. Um, but the things that they love are, I think, really great. You know, they love taking care of themselves. They like taking care of other people. They love growing. They love um, supporting supporting the world, the environment. Um, and so it's a cool place to be. For sure, man. Okay, now uh, uh, a couple of things I want to uh, touch on before we're done here. Uh, let's let's talk about the the ultra running because uh, when when somebody goes to your Instagram, there's a lot of content recently on on you and your significant other running. I saw something about you have a goal to do Leadville this year, which is a very popular ultra run out there in, in Colorado. So uh, when did you first do your first ultra? What was kind of the impetus for you to do that first ultra? And then just talk about the ebbs and flows of you participating in, in ultra running. Do you have any like ultimate goals? I know we talked about releasing expectations, but I'm sure you have some sort of goals with, uh, you know, the ultra running, you have a race coming up. You just mentioned this weekend. So just kind of unpack ultra running. What, what is it? What does it mean to you? What are the goals? Uh, just uh, give us some insights in, into that, Mike. Yeah. So easy definition, people that don't know, an ultra marathon is essentially any run that is longer than a marathon. Um, there are pretty standard distances, like a 50K is usually the first ultra, which is 31 miles. Then it usually goes up to 50 miles then 100K, which is 62 miles, then 100 miles, and they even have 200-mile races, and they even have a few that are farther than that. Um, one of my buddies just did a 250-mile race and so in Arizona. Um, shout out, Don. So, um, yeah, there's there's options to run farther than – or whatever. That's an ultra marathon. Um, I got into it because I live in Colorado, basically. Like, in the gym I was in um, – you know, I put myself in that environment to be around those people. Like we just talked about in Boulder, I think um, an environment is really helpful. If you can get into a physical environment with people that are doing things that are inspiring, um, it can help ignite that inspiration in you. Um, if you can't get in that physical space, just having conversations with people virtually can be helpful as well. Uh, it's a big reason why I do the men's group. Um, but uh, one of the but one of my buddies Dwight came up to me in the gym and said, "Hey man, a couple of a couple of us are running the rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon in May. Would you be interested?" And I was like, 
or I think it was in April and this was in February. And I was like, uh, what is it? And he's like, well, it's about 50 mile run through the grand Canyon with like 15,000 feet of vertical gain. I think it wound up being less than that, but that's what he told me. And I was like, that sounds like a lot, but I don't really know if you think I can do it. Sure. Let's go for it. And so that was my first ever unofficial ultra. It's not a real race. It's a, a fantastic adventure. Um, you have to care. It's all self-supported. So you have to carry a backpack with all your own food and water. You can fill up a few places depending on the time of year um, with water on the, on the way. But then I figured since I already did that, some of those same people were like, we're doing the 50 mile Bryce Canyon run um, like three weeks after. And I was like, great, let's do that. I already just, I did this. I have some good training. Let's roll it over into first ever official run longer than a 5k. Uh, so, and so, um, did that run. Those were both extremely challenging. I had no experience properly training for either of them. I just went out and ran. Um, I didn't know anything about my heart rate or, you know, how to train properly. I just figured I needed a lot of time on my feet. And so I just ran a lot and, uh, and they didn't understand pacing. You know, the grand Canyon's tricky because you start downhill. And so you go downhill nine miles then you run along the bottom for seven miles and then you go up seven and then you reverse it back. And we started at two o'clock in the morning. I felt like a million bucks. I mean, the sun was out or excuse me, the moon was out, you know, the stars are out. You're in the grand Canyon, which for people that haven't been there, it's a seven wonder in the world for a reason. It's absolutely incredible. And you can feel that energy as you start to descend into the Canyon, the walls start to come up on the sides. Everything starts to get dark you're running downhill. Um, and, um, I wasn't disciplined. I was flying downhill. I was like, I don't think my feet touched the ground. I was on cloud nine, um, which felt incredible, but you know, about mile 13, I'm going across this river and my foot gets stuck in a rock and I take a step and my knee twists, um, probably because my quads got totally shot out from running downhill. And so the next step I took, my knee buckled face planted in the water and I was like, oh shit, I just tore my knee. Like, this is not good. Um, and so I got up to kind of like kind of hobble um, and hobble through the rest of it. So I was at mile 13 and, you know, hobbled through the rest of that run. Um, wound up having a, I think it was a sprained men meniscus. So nothing absolutely terrible, but at the time it didn't feel great. Um, and then we had the Bryce Canyon the next time. And that race I came in, third to last barely finished that run started getting shin splints you know jumping into you know that much mileage that quickly um in hindsight probably wasn't the best the best move um but i, I learned a lot about myself um through those long runs which is ultimately why i love um fitness in general and exercise in general you get to learn about yourself when you put yourself out there to something um you know, we're talking about ultras now, but it could be any type of skill. Like when you walk into the gym for the first time and you don't know what everyone else seems to know, something comes up in you. You have some type of you know, emotional reaction to that and being able to work with it. And that's how you grow as an individual, which is, I think, um, you know, ultimately why sports are so great. Now I started jujitsu last year and I've, you know, identify as an athlete, but I don't know anything about that. And, um, you know, I'm really having to, to learn and to humble myself and to, you know, 
really focus on learning those skills and, and running is the same, is the same way. When I went out to run for the first time, um, after learning about heart rate training, which really quickly, um, you have two energy systems, your aerobic system and your anaerobic system. Aerobic system is more like your cardio for your longer distance events. Anaerobic is like high intensity. And I have a fantastic anaerobic system. I can lift a lot of weight very fast. If like 10 seconds, I'm amazing. Like much longer than that, I start to get tired. And a lot of the sports I played are those quick bursts basketball, football, Olympic weightlifting, acrobatics. It's like, bam, lift someone up, catch them, put them down, rest. And and running was the opposite. And so this go around, which was October, I really learned, leaned into my aerobic system and running in, if you think of heart rate zones, um, I'll just try to keep this as easy as possible. Five main heart rate zones, one through five. Um, Zones one and two are your aerobic system, three, four, and five get up to the anaerobic, you know, five is like, you can't say anything. You're absolute dead sprint. Um, one is like a walker a little bit faster. And zone two is like a conversational pace where you can run, have a conversation. You can breathe. Your body isn't yet releasing lactate, which then gets into your bloodstream and eventually causes your legs to feel heavy or tired or sore. And so you can train your body to run at a faster pace with a lower heart rate by understanding what your aerobic zones are and being really strict and sticking with them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. Um, the test that I did to do that was I went out for a 30 minute run and ran as fast as I could and, and consistently as I could for that 30 minutes and tracked my heart rate. My heart rate was 182 beats um, for thir- those 30 minutes. Took that number multiplied it by 0.8 and 0.88. And that is my zone two. And so then every single run that I did um, after that for the first three months, never went below, never went higher than that number. Um, the first run was like 16 minute miles. Like I would start to run, boom, my heart rate would shoot up. I'd have to walk. That was very difficult on my ego again, but I really trusted the process. I, I learned, you know, aerobically, I'm like a baby giraffe. I have no experience in this at all. And so it'd be similar to someone who's never gone into the weight room um, and is expecting themselves to lift 300 pounds over their head. Like you have to start with the bar. You got to start with the PVC pipe. You have to start in those places. And, and I have history of starting with the bar and the PVC pipe and seeing how developing the technique works over time to be able to lift and do things that you never thought were possible when you began. I mean, so I didn't want to rush the process aerobically as well. And so um, that's helped me now be able to run uh, three ultras this past, well, since October. And then I have a fourth one coming up this weekend. And then I might do two more or one more, but before the Leadville 100, which is a very classic. I think it's the second ultra in the United States ever. Um, it's in Leadville, Colorado. The average altitude is over 10,000 feet, climbs up to, I think, 12 and a half. Um, there's 15,000 feet of gain over the hundred miles. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the plan for August 19th. So anyone that's interested, I really do love running. Um, and I love, you know, encouraging people to do ultras. Um, not cause I have any interest in like what it is controlling, what it is that you do with your life, but just sharing the things that have really worked well for me mm-hmm. and, um, and running has been one of those. And, and I shared it with my partner, Kelly. 
And she could see when I came back from the runs, how passionate I was, how much I enjoyed it, how my energy was improving, how, um, you know, I was, I was really feeling good and seeing improvements, which is helpful. Um, it's really helpful when you're practicing something and you can see it improve. Like that 16 minute mile went down to 15, went down to 14, went down to 13, went down to 12. And like, you know, it, it takes a lot, it takes time, of course. Um, and not time in days or weeks, like months and years. Um, but I can be a little bit of a obsessive person. And so I leaned hard into it and, uh, and ran almost every day, but at that lower rate. So I wasn't creating as much strain on my body. Um, I also had have a, a lifting background. So my legs are really strong so they can take a lot of that impact, but it wasn't a ton of impact because I'm pretty much walking like a little bit of a run and then a walk, a little bit of a run and a walk. And so just naturally over those months, my body built that up. Um, so anyway, Kelly was, was leaning into that and um, and we've done two ultra marathons together and, and she's never done a race ever in her whole life. Like not even a Turkey trot. I mean, she used to be a track, a sprinter in college. And so I think her longest race is like a hundred meters. And then we did a 50, a 50, um, kilometer race. And then we just completed, um, a hundred K in Zion mm. together, which was like a really amazing experience to get to enjoy, you know, the nature, each other push through something challenging support each other throughout, throughout that process. Love it, man. Uh, you, you, you brought up Kelly. So, uh, again, anybody that goes to your Instagram, you see Kelly, you see, uh, uh, the, the boy that you said, uh, you mentioned earlier. So, uh, why don't you talk about, uh, Kelly and uh, how did you guys meet and, uh, talk about, I'm assuming that's her son that, that, uh, lives with you guys now. Um, just talk about the experience of uh, Kelly having this this son around now, and uh, what what's that been like? What what have you learned from Kelly and her her son and and this experience, Mike? So much, yeah. They both teach me things all the time. Um, you know, something that Dan Millman talks about in that book, "Way of the Peaceful Warrior," and in some of his other books, is like life is the best school that you ever go to. Yeah. You just have to, you just have to take notes and actually be in class so you can learn and improve. And what's so cool with living with this young boy, his name's Remy, is that he's literally growing every single day. And so we get to grow like right along with him. Um, but for your question on Kelly, um, Kelly owns what I believe is the best restaurant like that I've ever been to for me personally. Um, it's called Nurture. The restaurant's actually called Nest. Um, it's in Denver. Uh, in like I mentioned before, I'm, I learned a lot about holistic health and wellness at a young, younger age, you know, out of high school, right out of high school. And so I understand the value of eating clean, um, unrefined sugars, unrefined oils, organic. Um, I follow a gluten-free and dairy-free diet based on the allergens that I have from, you know, being a, a young child, something I didn't mention as I had 51 ear infections by the time I was born until the time I was two. And so I was pumped full of antibiotics. And then my immune system really never got to catch up in that way. So I have some of these food allergies. And so I'm always looking for places that, you know, um, cater to, you know, those health-minded individuals like myself. And it's pretty, it, it can be tricky to find them. And so a nurture is that place. Like, oh, excuse me. 
So yeah, ner- I have some allergies. Oh, you're good, man. You're good. So, uh, like, it's real life, right? <laughs> and at the time, I called them in. So, um, yeah. So nurture focuses on that. So I would go there um, and eat food, and I saw Kelly, and I was very attracted to her, and we started talking, and then um, we got we developed a relationship, um, and then you know we started we moved in together into this home in Boulder about a year ago, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit over a year ago. And we have Remy 50% of the time. Remy's dad lives in Denver. And so um, he's with him uh, 50% of the time. But we have Remy during the weekdays. So, um, you know, he's with us during the school days. We're able to do the whole school thing with him, get him up, get him out, have him come back from school, bring him to practices, things like that. And then he's with his dad on uh, three of the four weekends. But it's been so cool. I mean, I want to be a parent really bad. I want to have a family. It's like really important to me. And so uh, I'm not Remy's dad, but it's been cool to be uh, parent number three and like let that really evolve naturally um, at its own pace. Um, you know, Rem, the relationship I have with Remy is probably the one I'm most proud of maybe in my life because it's so unconditional. He has no reason to or expectation from me to love me or care about me. You know, if it was up to him, he wants his mom and dad together. But uh, I just pour as much love and support as I can into him. And he feels that he's, he's a very clear vessel, like partially because he's seven and because of the way that he's been raised. Like, he's just very open, very honest, very clear. Um, And so when you pour a lot of love into someone like that, and like a lot of children, they really receive that. And, um, and he can feel that and our relationship really shows the love that we have for each other. So it's been, it's been awesome. Um, I'm really looking forward to continuing to grow that relationship with him and whatever way that, that it goes, but always led what I call like hands behind the back, heart forward. Yeah. Cool, man. Okay. Last thing I want to kind of touch on with you, Mike, and then we'll wrap it up here. I'm going back to, uh, the category of men. Uh, because uh, I, I believe that's kind of the, you, you work with a lot of men again with the coaching and stuff and, and groups. So in 2022, 2023, kind of the, the, the day and age that we're living in, uh, when you are working with men, uh, kind of like more in that one-on-one coaching, uh, you know, uh, realm or setting, Mike, what, what, what do you kind of see uh, a lot of men nowadays struggling with and 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 where can we as men maybe uh focus uh that that personal work on in terms of you see a, a lot of men struggling with a b c d what whatever it is does that kind of make sense to you yeah yeah i think men will will struggle they'll focus on the symptoms of like i drink too much alcohol watch too much porn i like i'm depressed i'm overweight i'm this all of those are caused from something else. And the, usually the cause from that is not living in alignment with your truth, not being able to express yourself, not having the tools to express yourself and express yourself to yourself or to a colleague at work or to your partner. And so it manifests as these different areas. And so what I do is not really focus on the like the vices or the, the those symptoms, but what is causing them? Like what's the root cause from it? And a lot, again, it comes down to a lot of things we've been talking about, a lot of expectations, a lot of those shoulds, um, a lot of living a life that isn't, again, attuned with who they truly are. And 
you know, that's again, something that I'm not taught in school, something Remy's not taught in school, like how to really lean in and trust that, that inner guidance. And so that's a lot of the work that we'll do through, um, you know, specific introspective practices. Um, and then another, another thing that a lot of people that I work with feel are they're overwhelmed, they're distracted, they don't have clarity, they lack motivation, or they have a, what they call a weak mindset. And so I use a lot of positive, positive technology, technology, psychology, positive psychology to work through those and treat it just like someone would come into the gym and wants to get faster or stronger or work on their back squat. There are specific exercises, tools, maps, models, reframes for each of those and giving guys, especially men, like an actionable plan that they can do each week that then they see those benefits, it helps move that along. What happens a lot of time with life coaching is it can kind of be like kind of fluffy or like, you know, airy-fairy and, um, and then things don't stick because, you know, usually by the time they call me to want to work on me, work with me one-on-one, they've listened to tons of podcasts, read tons of books, read, talked to tons of people about stuff. They hear it all, but it's not, it's nothing's happening. Like the action isn't following through. And I pride myself on the action because oftentimes we know the things we need to do. We just need to take the action. And uh, I hope, I hope men apply or put in those plans and put those plans in place to take the action, which is ultimately what I feel like is the mark of a great coach is someone who can um, help their client obtain as much positive action in their life as possible. Beautiful, Mike. Okay. The last question that I have for you. So the tagline of this podcast is conversations with those in pursuit of more. So what I'm curious uh, about is um, what are you currently uh, in pursuit of or pursuing Mike? Yeah, this is a great question. And I'm going to lovingly flip it on you. I'm not in pursuit of more. I'm in pursuit of less. I want to pursue the right things yeah. and the things that are most valuable to me. Um, and I struggle with like bright, shiny object syndrome where like, I want this and I want to do that. And I want to do here and I want to do there. And it pulls me away from being grateful for the things I do have and the life that I am living. And so Kelly, my partner has this great phrase, like wanting to create a pace for more space. Because ultimately, the way that we, our perception of our life fuels the, the way that we think about it. And so if we can slow down, appreciate the things that we do have, then we'll feel great about the life that we're living um, and not always be wanting to seek a ton of, a ton of things outside. Um, of course, if I have goals, right? I'm, I'm running ultra marathons, running 100 miles. Like I like doing those things, but I don't necessarily tie my identity to those things which I think is, is important for, for everyone. Mm. There we go. That's a <laughs> flip the question on me. I love it, Mike. Uh, it's a great way to end it. Uh, now, before I do a quick outro and I let you go, Mike, uh, if somebody, if a, if a, if a guy is, is, is listening to this, they're resonating with uh, all the great information you're giving us your story and they want to connect with you. They want to reach out to you. They're interested in the coaching um, where can people, where can guys connect with you, reach out to you in terms of coaching? If you have any other shout outs, sponsors, anything that you want to leave with us, final thoughts, final words, the platform's yours. I'll do a quick outro, then I'll let you go. So, uh, whatever you got for us in closing, uh, it's, it's yours, Mike. 
Yeah. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me creating this platform to let me, you know, communicate my, the ideas that I have here. Um, I think it's really powerful getting people to speak more candidly on the life that they want to live and being more curious. I think it's a fantastic personal attribute for all of us. That's the only way we can grow is if we're curious on why we're acting a certain way or why we're responding, then we can dive into that and then ultimately grow from it. Um, but again, if to answer your questions, I'm pretty easy to reach like, uh, like Deion Sanders here at CU, you know, you know where to find me, um, Mike Idella, uh, on Instagram, Mike.idella or, um, Mike is my website. You can learn more about the men's groups, the one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, there's a bunch of links there to just jump right into my schedule and schedule a phone call. And if you have any interest at all, I'd really encourage you to do that. I know it can feel intimidating sometimes to reach out and talk to someone on the phone about these things. You know, as men, we're not like, yeah, can't wait to go just phone call and talk about my feelings. Like, whoo, it's going to be fun. Like we'd rather go spend money on, you know, a car or something for our truck or whatever. But, um, I think the most valuable thing that we can spend money on is ourselves and our perception of ourselves and the world around us. And so, um, I talk to a lot of guys all the time and, uh, and I would love to talk to anyone that's interested, um, that's, that's heard anything that they're interested in continuing the conversation with. Excellent. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, for coming on and uh, sharing your story and giving us some of your insights. I really appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, all of you who are tuning into this episode of Curious and Candid. I just want to say uh, thank you so very much. Uh, as uh, Mike uh, loves connecting with, with people, I love connecting with uh, people myself. So uh, two ways that you can connect with me, uh, you can find uh, the podcast and myself and the guests that come on the podcast uh, on Instagram. And that Instagram is Curious and Candid. Please feel free to send me a DM. Uh, introduce yourself. Uh, let's let's chop it up. Let's get to know each other. Another way that you can uh, reach out to me, uh, if you think you would be a great guest uh, for the podcast, or maybe you have somebody in mind that you think would be a great guest to come on and share their story and their insights with the world, uh, please feel free to share. Uh, you know that individual or reach out to me through the email. That email is curious and candid podcast at gmail.com. And then I'm excited. Uh, we just got. Uh, uh, a new website launched, uh, and this is for holistic training and nutrition. Uh, so not the same thing that Mike does, but in the same uh, direction in terms of uh, looking at the whole person and approaching uh, health, wellness, training, nutrition in that in that holistic manner. It's so very important. We are mind, body, and soul. So uh, if you have uh, any uh, you know interest in holistic training, nutrition lifestyle coaching, you can go to awakentrainingandnutrition.com and uh, you can check out all the information there. I appreciate all of you. If you guys would do uh, me a huge favor, take this episode of the podcast, share it on your Instagram stories. Uh, make sure you tag Mike, uh, tag uh, Curious and Canon Podcast so that we know that you uh, listened specifically to this episode and found great value in it, in which I know you did. Appreciate all of you guys. We'll catch you next time.